0: Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the Downrange Podcast. I'm Cody. First, before we get started with Downrange and our guest today, I want to direct everybody over to the trap draw. And Big Randy and TC were gracious enough to have me on as a guest this week to talk about all things Ukraine, what is going on, what do we think Putin's up to, and what the ramifications for a lot of these actions are actually going to be, not just specifically for the United States, but Kind of for the world. So I love every time I get to go over and chop it up with those guys. We're always talking about interesting subjects. So if you're looking for another podcast to add to your repertoire, check out The Trap Drop. Today's guest is Kevin Deckel. Kevin is currently the director of sales operations at Mira Golf. But it's a long path that got him there. He's originally from California. Spent time in 2nd Ranger Battalion. We talk about his service his deployment to Afghanistan, and then ultimately what happens and the choices that he made when adversity struck. Every single ranger that serves in the 75th Ranger Regiment is almost expected to go to ranger school and successfully pass and come back to ranger regiment with your ranger tab. And I know this is confusing because everybody thinks a ranger is a ranger it's a ranger, but it's not that way. Kevin did not pass ranger school most people when they fail or if they fail ranger school are no longer allowed to serve in the regiment kevin regardless of the adversity through failure continued on and successfully completed his time at second ranger battalion he had a solid transition plan that included him going to arizona state finishing his bachelor's degree and then later getting his mba during that time he worked at papago golf club Then he started looping out of Phoenix Country Club. He had a quick internship with Charles Schwab, shout out to Chuck, before landing his job at Mira Golf, where he's at now. I cannot thank Kevin enough for being as open and honest as he was about all topics that we discussed, and I really hope people learn a little bit from this one. This is Kevin's story. Enjoy. Tell me a little about yourself.
1: Well, I just started a new job here at Mira Golf. I'm the director of sales operations for Mira Golf. So that's a new adventure for me about six weeks now. So not a very long time. Before that, most recently was at Phoenix Country Club, living the simple life, the great life that anyone that's done it knows, working in the bag room, caddying, uh, being a cash business and having absolutely no stress. And most recently before that, finished college kind of a later age uh, between grad school and undergrad and all that for that spent four glorious years in second ranger battalion 75th ranger regiment and um you know just kind of a little bit later than most other people and certainly my friends but now I'm uh, in the real world with the real email and a, a busy calendar and I get to complain about mundane corporate things on a daily God, basis sounds
0: so good first of all I have so many questions about mira golf and working for mira golf and I know we're going to get there but like jumping out was there like During your new employee orientation, do they like give you like a family overview or like the lineage of how we got here? There's
1: definitely a really solid like history portion. And personally, that has been extremely interesting to me even before I even knew about the brand. And then obviously having the opportunity to work with and, you know, for the family. Um, And we have one person, he's our chief Chief Oper- operations officer, it's Bill Halawati, and uh, I would call him Mr. Mira. I think a lot of people would. He's known the family personally for a very long time and helped, you know, create the company and still works with us. So he and I have kind of had a Mira University thing once a week of just insane minutia and family stories and interviews and descriptions. So it's a solid onboarding, and I think that's part of something that. We're a very small team, quote unquote, but all of us that, you know, we, we want people to have that interest and that passion because it is such a small, unique brand. Um, so it's, it's something I continue to learn about very much so. And having calls with the factory and dealing with the translator and all of that is uh, an experience in its own, which has been wild, but yeah, it's, I mean, it's, it's, it's exciting and it's easy for me to not want to learn more about the mystique, if you will, because it is, it's truly wild.
0: Or were you caddying or working outside service? Okay. Uh, both. both. But you're, mostly catty. You're just grinding. You know, a
1: little bit of this, a little bit of that. You're out there grinding, <laughs> man. We all, we all are. You know, it's a small staff at Phoenix Country Club as well. All eight of us just, uh, you know, taking care of approximately 575 plus. So that was a good time. But I actually started there. I got to Phoenix in the back room by way of an internship I had in grad school, which I did for the Charles Schwab Cup championship for the PGA Tour champions. So had some insight to the uh, the tour, the machine, if you will. That was really good exposure. I had a great boss there, and I got to know the head pro of Phoenix Country Club doing that. And one day gave my resume and said, "Paul, I'm going to keep bugging you until you hire me out here." And it worked out pretty well. So that was a nice parlay of a uh, an internship into a, an actual.
0: So what did you? What were your intern duties?
1: For Schwab, it was all uh, operations intern stuff. So a lot of logistics, um, dealing with like so. I did it the year before COVID. And then I did it the COVID year, which was very interesting. The second year was all just worry about the bubble and testing and no fans and things like that. The first year was, you know, logistics of parking, hospitality tents, the build out, um, dealing with clients, putting out fires. And it was just good exposure. I kind of did a little bit of everything, but it was technically an operations intern thing. And just got to hang out during tournament week, which is nice. They, everyone there is the ops bros. Um, you know they wear the rope hat, and uh, as a bald man, not a big rope hat guy. But during tournament week, the ops bros just sit in the trailer and watch football. But that meant we did a good job because the tournament was running smoothly, and we shouldn't be out there, you know, running around too crazily. So it was a good gig and good
0: exposure for sure. Completely agree. I love that tournament, and it's not just because we got a partnership with Schwab, but it's a really, real cool spot. It's a special right. course. So. We know where you're at now, but where are you from, man? Like, where did this whole thing start?
1: Well, I grew up in Clovis, California. True story. I went to the same exact high school as Bryson DeChambeau. Uh, I did not know him. I did not really see him around. I believe I was a senior and he was a freshman, but uh, that's my random factoid. So I grew up in the Central Valley of California, Clovis, Fresno area. Actually, a lot of good golf there, which is kind of ironic. You got Nick Watney and Kevin Chappell and a few others, so that's been pretty fun so bounced around central valley of california a little bit for college bounced around from san luis obispo to irvine uh fresh out of high school i did one year one full year at ucsb so check that off the resume um but yeah mostly california grew up there I was born in palm springs but central california california area and uh you know out of that bounced up to seattle for the army and after that one of the complete opposite weather so came out to the desert
0: yeah it's, a, it's such a weird interesting turn so what was like high school did you i'm I'm guessing you played sports you're a bigger guy
1: i did i uh swam and played water polo for 15 years that was those i don't understand people
0: uh, wait wait, hold on a second this water polo thing i could barely swim like laps when we had to do like water pt and then you got these people that play water polo who can just like shred forever It was uh, an interesting way. I got into it because my
1: brother was into swimming and then I got into swimming and then like you saw that it's like, Oh, what's that? And I think I played it like one summer, sixth grade summer, I want to say, and then kind of really liked it. And just that just kind of ended up being the sport and that's what we ended up doing. So um, I loved it. I still love it. I love watching the summer Olympics. That's probably the one thing I look forward to. It's a great sport. It's extremely, extremely physical. Um, Always, you know, Gave football players a hard time in high school, of course, but it's just it's a unique sport. It's um, it's extremely demanding. You got to have a lot of endurance, but you can get you can get very physical if you want as well. So that's kind of a fun outlet. But it was a good time. But just kind of played in junior college at Cuesta. And that was where I was in uh, San Luis Obispo. So that was fun. I mean, Juco, you know, sports are just unique and fun and it was a good time yeah it's kind of weird that I got into all that but it was it was fun I haven't touched the water in a very long time I can promise you that but it was a really good thing to do growing up
0: if you're such a good swimmer and this is like we're kind of jumping ahead a little bit but why I know where you're did going. you join the army like why didn't you join the navy sure
1: yeah I mean by the time I had like by the time I was talking to a recruiter and like being serious about it and all that I mean I already hadn't been in the water for like two years like I was done playing and all that and My first thought was like, oh, I've got to get into a swimming shape or whatever. And it's like, "Okay, well, that's going to take a long time. And then it's, I I just kind of psyched myself out about it. I was like, I'm not going to choose one thing off of just the past, although I will completely agree. I would never like, oh, I'm going to go for a run today. And that's obviously what we do quite a bit of in the Army. Um, But yeah, by that time, I had just been so out of pool shape, if you will, that it wasn't like a, a determining factor for
0: me. There you have it. Even those who want it, and... crush
1: crushed the swim test, though you know, just absolutely.
0: Yeah, I'm, I'm sure. Well, yeah, the swim test, not that difficult. Okay, <laughs> but yeah, I'm sure you did better, better than most. All right, so you bounced around, did some, did some college, and then what? You're like, this isn't working out for me. This isn't the path that I really want to follow down at the time.
1: Yeah, that's pretty much exactly what happened. Did uh, two years of junior college. After that, I went to a private. Christian school in in Irvine to play water polo, went there for one year, uh, I busted my shoulder, finished the year academically, and more or less what you just said, I was like, what am I doing? Student loans, like, just, I would honestly surmise it as a quarter-life crisis in a way, and it just absolutely threw me because it's a lot of money, and I wasn't sure what I wanted to do, you know, uh, academically, let alone, like, for a career or anything like that, So I finished that junior year and just moved home and just worked for a couple, I think about a year and a half, two years, just, you know, annoyed my parents who thank God I have my parents and they are who they are and let me crash at the house and all that. So that was uh, an interesting time, but I knew that also working at In-N-Out, which by the way, In-N-Out is the superior burger. Don't at me. I do not care. If you don't like the fries, you can get the fries cooked light well. That's a hack time, time and, a haters and that's okay.
0: <laughs> again, uh, another random fact provided by Kevin. Okay, so in and out <laughs> whats it like years, working it? What's it like working at in and out?
1: Oh man, you get better have a really good strong smile at all times, which I wasn't the best at. You do not say the word yes. you say right on like literally. You don't say yes. You always say right on, which is funny. It was great, man. It was awesome. It's a great company for what it is. I mean, I'm grateful I was able to be there during that time. And yeah, I ate the burger and fries every single day. (laughs) No question. Um, Just about everybody does. So it was awesome. It was a great job.
0: And do you make like decent money or is it normal, like minimum wage stuff?
1: They definitely start you higher than minimum wage. I want to say when I started, it was like 14 or something. And you get a raise. Like I got to a level four. There's six levels before you get into management.
0: There's a lot of Cracker Barrel vibes going on in here. Yes, Cracker Barrel yes. also has like the rank system.
1: Yeah, they have that. And it's all, I mean, my our store manager started at a level one and worked all the way through the thing and runs the store. So nice. it's a very unique company how they do that. But I mean, they treat their people very well. And you can go a long way if you want to do that, honestly. But it was
0: fun. You became a four-star general, and you're like, I can't take this in and out anymore.
1: Yeah, four-star fry guy <laughs> got stopped at the fries, uh, so I was absolutely staring at you as you were in the drive-through, and vice versa. So once I finished that, or once I was just like, okay, I obviously certainly knew that wasn't um, forever, but just kind of, and even going backwards a hair to finishing out that last year of college and not really knowing, you know, what was going on, I uh, just certainly one of the things i just wanted to do something that i felt mattered like i remember i had a really good internship actually at a company that was that last year of college in irvine and it was like a sweet marketing gig it was a new company a younger guy he's really on top of his shit and i was like wow this is like what you want right here he gets to he has some perks he deals with golf courses he deals with these people these cool cocktail parties man this has got to be it And, you know, two weeks go by again, it's an internship, but like, it is, it's cool. The guy's awesome. The content is great, but like, we're just sitting in an office from like 9am to 6pm all day. And I was like, dude, this is maybe, but not right now. You know, that was a big thing. I was like, not yet. Um, So that was certainly kind of started the thought process and talking about something that matters and that's challenging and new. And I mean, the military was always the thought, but then it's like, okay, I'm really going to do the army. And it's like, I don't know, dude, if I'm going to do the army, I'm going to do it. You know, that was just my thought process. I was going to try for something that was difficult and um, I would feel proud about and feel accomplished and, you know, not something, hopefully something that not
0: everybody can do. All right. So the military running your family at all? Not at all.
1: No. Uh, so where did from? talk my to me about,
0: yeah. Talk to me about the motivation. Like where, where did it come from?
1: Um, that's a good question, man. I think, it was, I met someone when I was playing water pole, he had actually just gotten out of two, seven, five. Um, so he, it was funny. We kind of did things in reverse. Like he went to the army and then came back to finish school. And I like kind of finished school, went to the army and then finished school. So he came out and he, I want to say he was probably 25 or 26 somewhere in there. So it was funny to be like, you know, 20, 21 years old. And here's this guy who awesome dude still talk to him to this day. And, Much like uh, yourself, once in a while gets called Sarge, but, you know, people work through that, so it's okay. And I just got to know him, and it was cool and shed some light on something that, you know, uh, yeah, I know the Army. I know the Army Rangers. I know Navy SEALs, but, you know, what does anybody really know? So to be able to speak to him about just how the unit works and kind of the insight, it was interesting. I would say overall only informational. I wasn't, like, chomping at the bit to go sign up or enlist or anything like that, but it was nice to have a resource to talk about that with. But that wasn't super, um, not the huge motivation because that was like a couple of years before I ended up even enlisting. So honestly, I think it was just going home and knowing that I needed to do something, I would say somewhat drastic to kind of just get things back on course and feel really good about what I'd be doing uh, you know, in the future and after that.
0: So the recruitment process, did you have your heart set on mm-hmm. the army from what he had told you or was there other... The other services an option at all? Uh,
1: I went to the Air Force first. Of course and you did.
0: Because you're a I smart be guy.
1: Because I wanted to be a PJ. Because that's where the swim thing came in a little bit. I was like, oh, I can swim. It's all good. And not knowing the recruiting process whatsoever, um, went in there, was talking with him. And I was like, yeah, I had like eye surgery when I was three. Boom. That's done, right? Done. Like, Yeah. He's like, yeah, man, I can't. And I was like, okay, well, there's a door right next, you know, right next door is the army. So we'll go there and just be quiet. And then when I spoke with the army and obviously looked through things and did my own research about 18 X and option 40 and other avenues and things like that, it was a lot more beneficial because I just more so went in and they're like, hi, uh, well, it's funny. It's the recruiters. They don't know who you are. They don't know anything about you. Hey, take this practice ASVAB. Um, okay. I took that. I got like, 85 or whatever. And they're like, Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. You can have this. You can have that. You know, he's it's, a genius. That was kind of a, Exactly. Like they made me feel way too smart with that potential GT score and all that <laughs> other stuff that most of us may know about. But once I had that and they like actually were willing to talk to me and I wasn't annoying them. I was like, yeah, great. When you have an option 40, let me know. Right. Um, because I was right, like, and real quick gonna...
0: just, just for the, the listeners. So option 40 meaning like your initial contract, that option 40 is the only way that you can directly go to Rangers' assessment and selection process to get into the 75th Ranger Regiment. Correct. Yeah, I, I 18, like the option
1: 40. It gives you the... Go ahead, I'm sorry.
0: And then 18 X-Ray is also the only contract option that you can get in order to go directly to basically SFAS. So Special Forces mm-hmm. Assessment and Selection to become a Green Beret. So just so everybody... Yeah. People... Since I started this podcast, everybody's like, you guys use too many acronyms. You got to spell I them out it, yeah. for us. So there we go. Option 40, go be a little baby ranger. 18 x-ray. Yeah. Go spend way too long in training. You're going to come yeah. out in E6 with zero combat experience. But, hey, you're, you got a, a cool little green hat.
1: Yeah, yeah. and I liked, I liked pursuing those because I knew I at least wanted to do airborne. But like you mentioned, that option 40 just guarantees your basic training. Then you go to airborne school and then essentially guarantees you a shot, a, tr- a tryout, if you will. Um, so that was why I pursued that one. Like you said, there, it was funny enough. She's like, would you be interested in 18X or so the Green Beret thing? And I said, no, I, I'm not interested in that. No, thank you. Just I like the option 40 route. I know. And then I reached back out to that guy, Nick, who was a former 275 guy and spoke to him about it. He's like, just give me a quick you know, rundown of what this means, what that means. Um, maybe my first two or three acronyms. And now we both know probably 400 that are just disgusting. And I wish I could forget them, but I never will. Um, So that was, was overall, it was a pretty smooth process after that. Once I kind of took that and took the real ASVAB and got a real GT score, they really thought I was smart. And I was like, okay, sure. Um, And was able to get a ship date right after the new year uh, in 2014. So was working through the process. It was like November, December was obviously like to be home for the holidays. And then they're like, yeah, how about something on the 14th? That first, uh, first month of 2014. And I said, yeah, let's do it. And that was it, man. On the way to good old Columbus, Georgia.
0: Okay. So what you know now and what your mentor Mark at the time told you, what did he tell you? That's like, yeah, that's just not, it's just not true.
1: I don't know. I think he was just in such a different time than I like than I was, you know, he was in. God, when did he get out? Like 12? I think he went in in 05 or 06. So, you know, back in my day, back when it was hard, which it always is. Um, it wasn't anything major. I think it was just, like, the basic uh, like basic training aspects. Like, his was a lot, a lot more rough than mine, but it was also eye-opening to, you know, I mean, like, the military is like the melting pot of America. Like, I met so many people with so many wild stories in basic training, people who had never been on a plane, people with insanely tragic backgrounds people that were had money floating out of their pockets it was everything in between and a really really cool insight to kind of experience that but it's also basic training and some people a lot of people are there for potentially different reasons you know like yeah if someone wants to join the military and do a hr representative job or whatever that would be called and do their thing good for you man more power to you like get in there do it and get out it's you know, I, I I get frustrated sometimes because people think like, oh, I would do that, but I wouldn't do this job or that. It's like, man, it, it's a whole military, man. All these support people in smaller roles and things like that. They do everything so that quote unquote cool people can go do their shit. But those people still serve admirably and honorably and they get the same benefits. So, God, I got free college
0: without hurting themselves. That might be a good idea, you
1: know, maybe better than what we did. So um, <laughs> it all works out, man.
0: No, no. Can- I could not agree more. It's funny because uh, a lot of people, like specifically in the veteran space, they forget about all those other people and they want to call them support guys, enablers, whatever else you want to say. Like, Mm -hmm. that's the shit that like makes it so we can actually do a job. Uh, So I could not agree more with you. So beginning of 14, you ship out, go to basic. And I I guess I would say, were you prepared or was it kind of what you thought or not really?
1: I think I was pretty prepared. Uh, looking back, I was, I was, I was a pretty big hardo uh, going into basic. I'd got that little pre-rasp workout plan and started to run a lot. I even rocked a little bit. I bought like a nice camping backpack from REI and loaded it up with weight vests and stuff. And I was like, certainly very motivated, um, and excited. And I, I wanted to be there. And I honestly think I'm sure there's other people that have experienced this, like you get to basic and I felt like I was in better shape when I got to basic than maybe when I left, but it's like kind of a different kind of yeah. shape. Like, Oh, I'm going to the gym. I'm strong. Like, yeah, well, my push-ups were garbage, but by the end of it, my push-ups were really good and my running was a lot better and, and all that. So um, I, I felt like I was prepared. It was nice to get to, there was some other option for you guys in my basic class and it was just like, okay, this is step one, like absolutely step one, you know? So I didn't overlook it by any means. I took it all very seriously. I was never even like proficient on any weapon system before the military. wasn't a big shooter of guns or anything like that. So I took that all very seriously and wanted to learn everything I could, but I was like, okay, let's get through this. Let's get to airborne. Airborne's fun. Uh, (laughs) it's like a, a little vacation almost before rasp. Um, but that was also interesting and just funny cuz it's like you're in basic and oh gosh these are the people in the army no nah, no way man no way there's got all right let's just get out of basic and then you get to airborne where there's other people that have been in the army for potentially a long time and come do this training and it's like whoa like that's you're a, you're an E6 and this is who you are and this is how you act and this is how you run and it's just like it's mind blowing and then so again airborne was cool and you know it in Georgia, it's right down the road from the rasp building and three, seven, five compound and all that. So you're just staring at it and wanting to go. So that was fun. And then into rasp, um, right over the summer. So I think we were class eight fourteen. So it was pretty hot.
0: Tough but time to go.
1: You kind of got to pick your poison, I guess. Yeah. It was pretty wild, but it was very hot. Uh, no heat cap, thankfully for myself. No one wants to get that checked by the doc, but it happens.
0: I want to say, I, 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 I... I think real quick. So the timeline of initially coming in, it's a lot. And like you can stay focused on it and make make it through no issues. You know, thousands of people do it a year. The issue is, is that while you're at basic training, there's kids who are like, oh, you're going to airborne. Well, that's cool. Like, I'm just going to my to my next duty station and like I'm done with this training stuff. You're like, "Okay, cool, man. You get to airborne and you, you're, you're mixed in with not only a bunch of other personnel like you were saying that have already been in the military and they're just randomly coming to airborne school now. But other surfaces that you've never seen. Like I had a ton of Navy cats that were in airborne school with me. I remember like a yeah. guy that was in – like my chalk leader was an 06, like a full bird colonel. And I'm like, what the Jesus. fuck is he doing here? Sir, like, how can you
1: not have airborne wings? What know. are you doing? Like you've been
0: in the <laughs> Army for like a, – a, at least twenty years already. Like, how are you just coming yeah. here now? Which seemed—that's
1: what else blew my mind at Airborne School. Was people were there like, oh, this is part of my reenlistment, and I was like, I'm sorry. They're like, yeah, I reenlisted. I'm PCSing, and I made him give me Airborne. And I was like, How long have you been in the army? Yeah, whole well, seven years.
0: Not only that, where was- you where are you PCSing to? I'm like, Oh, you're going, you're going to Fort Irwin. Cool, like.
1: It's, you know, it, it's just nuts. Good thing you got your wings there, <laughs> buddy. Yeah. When you, when you sit there and look at like that person's path, again, it speaks to the same thing. Like if they love the army and they love their job and it's, it, it can be a good career field with good benefits and all that. No, no disrespect and no hate at all. But if I look at yours, your timeline and mine, like, yeah, let me do this four year expedited path, get this airborne real quick and then see what happens. Okay, great. Let's do that. So I was happy it worked out that way, but yeah, it was just it was just interesting. Again, I mean, you're just I'm a private. I know absolutely nothing. I've been to basic and that's it. But it's like, um, what? I would never. I didn't really have any intention of reenlisting anyway. I just wanted to do one enlistment and get out. And my buddies and I at the time were like, these people signed up for more just to come to airborne school for 150 bucks a month. Like, but that that's not the answer, man. So it was funny.
0: Did you have family come down for either? uh osa graduation or airborne
1: i had my mom and dad come for osa and my mom dad brother and best friend came for rasp that was it
0: so you airborne you're by yourself and i it makes sense it's only three week difference between that and your osa graduation but talk to me through what uh airborne school graduation day was like for you
1: oh man i don't know if i remember that
0: um I'm sure there's some some key moments. So it's usually a like a Friday afternoon. Um mm-hmm. and the reason why it's a Friday afternoon and and while I'll always forget it is cuz number one I think it's the first time like basic or osit like that's cool like you're you're trained now to be like the basic level possible at your job. Yeah. Um and osit for people who aren't listening it's combined uh basic training and then his infantry school. So did you go in or come out as a, a Bravo or a Charlie
1: uh Bravo so a standard infantryman that Charlie would be the uh, the mortarman that we all are so fond of
0: there you go I love some mortar guys man and I'll tell you this as crazy as it is in Syria I shot more damn mortars like <laughs> it, it, yeah my head is still rattling from yeah
1: yeah yeah actually now now that I use now I remember my uh, airborne graduation day because it was just waiting to get over to the 375 compound and process. A hundred percent. So just That's needed why. to think about that for a little bit. Yeah. We stood on the stones and the truck came and you load all your shit up. And then he says, follow the truck. And that means you're running and he's driving. So, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm remembering that more and more vividly, literally every second right now. So yeah, you run down to the compound, you get on the, the rasp rocks and then the real fun begins.
0: I, I, for some reason, I think, when i was in airborne school they had just opened that subway that's right like okay. across the street from the barracks and i remember like we almost mm-hmm. ate like every meal especially on weekends like at that subway and if we weren't eating oh, at yeah. that subway like we're in town probably getting drunk and just trying to give back for five o'clock formation of course anyway so the reason why i say basic or excuse me airborne graduation and It's the first time that you're given something that, like, I thought kind of mattered. Like, there's a ton of history and, you know, lineage and traditions that come with being, like, an airborne soldier. And, like, you're given these wings, which, by the way, are not even, like, the real jump wings that you're going to wear the rest of your career on any uniform, both Yeah, you got to go buy your own, just
1: like everything else, which is another awesome detail that no one ever believes me on. Like, yeah, the little ribbons, yeah, you
0: buy that with your own money, 100%. Exactly when I finally got like graduated rip, I remember my first, first sergeant that I had and we were doing like our first class A inspection. And I was like, wow, first sergeant, like, where did you get all those, those ribbons and those medals from? He's like, dude, I got them from fucking Ranger Joe's. And I was like, yeah, no, like, <laughs> yeah. Where, like what do you, where were you, were need? you, what were you awarded these things for? He's like, yeah. ask the right fucking question then private. And I was like, yeah. Oh my God. Like,
1: okay. Yeah, elevate your feet. Thank you
0: yep so you get it you get picked up at the time i had no clue like the people who i was in airborne school with i i had no that i didn't even know the fucking difference between like airborne training brigade Mm -hmm. and where regiment was actually at on fort benning so when they were like hey put all your shit in this truck oh you guys didn't get your bags in the back of the box truck fast enough get everything out line back up okay put them back in again nope that's not happening all right start running we mm-hmm. could have ran for five miles, ten miles, a quarter of a mile. I had no clue what the hell we were doing. Yeah. Literally, it, it's just up the road. It's not that big of a deal.
1: Barely. Yeah, it's like half a mile, right? Maybe. But I
0: remember I also was a summer airborne school and rip kid. And I remember getting up there and standing in formation and getting the absolute dog shit smoked out of us. While meaning push ups, sit ups, flutter kicks, I right, do it again, pull ups, a ton of pull ups. And I remember standing out there and for some reason in RIP or RASP, but we like never wore headgear. Like I don't ever remember wearing my PC at all. So it was like all of August for me, uh, standing in RIP and standing out on the blacktop in formation constantly. And, like, yeah. y- your shaved head is not just, like, yo, shaves. Like, you're going in and they're pressing, like, the razor, like, as hard as they possibly can so you have no hair left. Yeah, they're
1: they're a little aggressive with it.
0: Yeah. Right. But my fucking head was so sunburned that I had mm-hmm. blisters on the top of my head and, like, standing in formation for hours and hours at a time, the blisters would eventually pop and you would just have, like, Ugh. pus mixed in with the sweat now dripping in your eyes and heaven forbid you move at all while in formation. Well, that's obviously not allowed. No, yeah, of course not. It just starts it all over again. That's what I remember about the beginning of rip and standing out on that black top.
1: Yeah. Yeah. We were, uh, I'm, I don't know if you, when the last time you've been there, I'm sure you've seen the new buildings and everything, all that construction that's been up since then. So there's just those little rock pits by the bill. they're like three or four story buildings we're just standing there for a good while. And then same thing, just get absolutely destroyed and dudes getting grilled about their airborne Ranger in the sky and just insane smoking sessions. Um, Guys digging through your bag was like so funny to me. Like, obviously you can't laugh, but guys just getting ripped for a book or a magazine or this or that. And it's like, Oh God, what's he going to say about me? Um, So yeah, certainly a very long day, but you know, eight more weeks of that. And, that was, it was as crappy and shitty as that is. Like the guys that i had gotten to know through basic and airborne that were going option 40 as well was like, all right, at least we're finally here. You know, again, not discounting. <laughs> I did not know how to jump out of a plane effectively. So obviously <laughs> I needed airborne school. Fall out of a plane. Uh, newsflash. There's not, there's not many secrets, but you can <laughs> hurt yourself. Um, so yeah, obviously we need that training. And yeah, again, like, like I said, I paid attention in basic and learned that baseline shit, but It was like, all right, this is why I signed this piece of paper. This is why I decided to take this risk and make this change and all that. So um, it was kind of uh, two sided, you know, exciting, but shitty, but exciting.
0: When they split up or stood up RASP and then like had phase one, phase two, like it is a ton better. And you see like a better product come out the other side of it. Mm -hmm. And the beginning, like RASP one for Kevin is much like RIP used to be for me. Like you go, you get smoked, you're you're basically just like getting beaten to the ground and then re- being rebuilt as this little baby ranger to, to do an act and, and know exactly what they want for a reason. It's there for a reason. I will say that from a kid who like graduated rip deployed, like on target, like it's all there for a reason. Yeah. But in phase two for you and Rasp, did you get good training out of it? I mean, from an outsider looking in and seeing the yeah. the overall, evolution and development of the program like it seems like it's awesome
1: i think i would say i got a whole bunch of insight and it's it's weird in a way we would talk about that we felt rasp should be or basic should be rasp that was our opinion because we're like oh we can weed all these people out and it's like this is how it should be it's not because it's you you finish it right much like everything else in battalion or you, you do it and then it's like oh that wasn't that bad but before it's like, this is going to be so terrible. And maybe that's why I continue to always, you know, expect the uh, plan for the worst and hope for the best. It usually works out pretty good. Um, but yeah, that I would akin that like second phase or that phase two. I did learn a lot. Was I like a proficient Ranger when I got to battalion? Absolutely not.
0: It's not your job to be though, either.
1: Right. Even that really solid baseline. Like, yeah, at least your squad leader, your team leader is going to be like, okay, you can do this much. Now that doesn't really matter because it's all dependent on your team leader and your boss at that time. But I've, I definitely felt more confident. And just, again, just the baseline, like weapon systems, any type of charge. Not that I could go in and build one, but like, okay, I've seen this before. I've done this. I've done that. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I, I thought it was great at the time. And it was just, again, it's all very baseline. It's like you're not accomplished. You don't know anything. But at least you know this much. And we can give you to your, your new boss with hopefully – um, a little little less issues for him to handle. But, of course, there there are always more issues because you're a private and that's your job.
0: You can't help yourself. That's just the way life is.
1: No, that's that's why we're there, to get smoked. <laughs> all
0: right, cool. So, uh, at the tail end of RAS, you, you guys finally get to make, like, battalion selections.
1: Yeah, we did. Our, that was, uh, I'll never forget that either because I definitely thought we were all getting fucked because the guy's like, all right. You guys know why you're here? Because they do it with like, well, I don't know, it's like four or five days left, right? Like, everyone's passed, it's gonna pass, we're good, we know where we're going. Okay, great. All right, uh, who wants to go to 175? Raise your hand. And everyone's like, uh, like come on, it can't be this easy. And then it's so those, those guys rose their hand. Who wants to go to 275? I rose my hand, raised my hand. And then who wants to go to 375? And as soon as they do it, I was like, well, hopefully two goes to one and two doesn't go to three. You know, that's my only thought process. Like, how's this gonna work? um speaking with that guy nick who was an old ranger that i played water polo with his story is you know i'm sorry probably similar to yours you guys are all in a room there's one guy with the clipboard and he says all right come sign up and dude, it's just an all-out you know fist fight it wasn't i was potentially expecting that i had no idea what's going to go on and then after he writes down all the names he's like all right we'll see you at formation (laughs) like that was it so as long as you had like a good pt score and you weren't a piece of shit and you raised your hand for the right one, like that class we ended up that's where we ended up going so uh, yeah, in the moment again i was like i think i just put myself in 375 because like it, you, it's no way it's that easy right you've been getting absolutely fucked with for the last eight weeks and there's no way that you can just you know and you know getting your whatever battalion you want to go to that's a pretty big deal um for anybody who doesn't know you know there's two in georgia one in fort benning one at savannah and then the set the other battalion the second battalion in tacoma washington and that's it I'm
0: glad you called it the other battalion
1: yeah the what the fat bat yeah that's us dude but obviously the main drive is to I'm um, potentially wherever you're from or your family but like i wanted to get the hell out of georgia like i'm from california i'd like to be in the west coast time uh time zone and all that and I just didn't want to get stuck at benny and i think a lot of people feel that way so i was happy it worked out the way it did and but yeah, in that moment, I was like, "What the fuck are we getting into?" You just didn't think it'd be that easy, but you never know.
0: I remember like going through training, at least for us, like wars were like both Iraq, Afghanistan. There's constant like deployments, and there still was when you went in. and were going through training and stuff like that. But you, we heard like Rip Cadre told us stories of like, "Oh man, like two deployed right now, three is getting getting ready to go out mm-hmm. in two two months," and like that swayed. A ton of people's decisions to be like, yo, I want to go to 375 because, like, I want to deploy now. Like, that's what.
1: Because they're going next and you're in the cycle and this and that. Yeah,
0: Yeah. Yeah, 100%. There's a, you you could break down each battalion, like, a million different ways. There's tons of stereotypes that are, some are very, very true and some are a lot false and, like, hearsay stuff. But I remember everybody that I went, like, all my buddies that I went through training with that ultimately ended up picking like 275, I was like, Oh yeah, I'm never going to see you again. Like, you're just, you're gone. Mm -hmm. Like, I mean, you're, you're all a part of the same unit, but like there's no way I'm ever going to see you again, man. I'll tell you what this, the, the world and the community is so small. I bet I saw all those guys because you don't realize at the time, like, Oh yeah. Like in three months I'm doing a changeover with this guy.
1: Yeah, that, or you're going to see him at Jumpmaster or Master Breacher yeah. or whatever else he went to. And Yeah, it's just all a very small community. And um, But, yeah, I thought the same thing. I was like, oh, I'm never going to Georgia again. Fuck that. <laughs> and, you know, you inevitably go back there. Right. So, uh, it was just exciting to get out at that time.
0: Well, cool. So off to 275 you go, and it's, it's good. I mean, West Coast kids, I understand. A lot of guys that grew up in the Midwest, upper Midwest, choose the same thing because they want to get back to the mountains and everything like that. But what was it like getting to 275?
1: Right when I got there, it was EIB, and I fucked that up, and I was confident I was going to get RFS. Okay, so <laughs> to I break had,
0: that down real quick.
1: Yeah, EIB is an Expert Infantry Men's Badge. Is, it's, it's basically a training that you do. I think it's a week long. It's a badge that you can earn that is baseline-level tasks. That um, It's just kind of an event that goes around through battalion or other Army units. Uh, it can be a huge point of pride for some people, um, I think like most things in Ranger Battalion, we simply view it as a you should do this with your eyes closed, check the box and continue on. Again, being a brand new person a brand new private and overall I would certainly like I think I cared way too much if I could go back and tell myself to like stress a little less, but can't do that anyway, who cares? And yeah, as like my first week was the training up to that. So like pre-training for EIB. Oh, I should sorry, RFS uh in Ranger Regiment is getting released for standards, essentially fired. Um, cause that is a unit that they can kick you out at any time. Cause you do have to perform every single day. And I appreciate that. And, uh, I can vouch for that cause I've seen guys, you know, in and out and that's just kind of the way that place is. So basically to summarize, I'm going to a, a random kind of random training thing that is not extremely difficult. You're definitely expected to get it. Everyone has it for the most part. And if not, they're grading you that you somewhat have the answers to the test Um, And again, I'm a brand new private and I ended up not getting it. I think I've messed up the Seaburn portion, portion, which is like a gas mask. I don't know what Seaburn stands for. So there's one, I guess, chemical, biological, maybe I do know. (laughs) Um, So anyway, I failed this EIB thing that's seemingly like not that difficult. You're expected to get it. I'm the brand new guy. All my other privates got it. And I was like, all right, well, I've been here three weeks and I'm going to get RFS. I'm going to get kicked out and I'm going to get sent to the conventional army. And then you don't know where you're going. So it was a little bit of a whirlwind to say the least. And that's like, you know, it's just part of just being a new private, like your knowledge that you need to learn and understand is immense. And on top of that, it's like EIB that, okay, great. So yeah, it was, it was an interesting, I remember my squad leader was like, so what do you going to happen if you fail EIB, Deckle?" And I was like, I'm going to get RFS, Sergeant. And he just starts busting up laughing. He's like, seriously? Come on. I failed it my first time. And I was like, oh, oh, okay. Like, maybe not. I don't know. I just started doing push-ups, probably because that was such a private. Um, But that was like the first three weeks or so, or I guess two weeks. But that was uh, an interesting intro. So after that, I at least knew I wasn't going to get fired. And we pretty much went straight into a training cycle, um, which specific to Ranger Battalion, you know, that's kind of our operational tempo is training cycle deploy over and over and over, which, you know, we kind of have been since our, I don't want to say inception, but obviously early 2000 and things like that. So I um, was very fortunate to hop straight into the, our three, four month training cycle. Um, we did that whole thing. MLAT, I can rattle off 20 acronyms right now, but I won't, but obviously you get that whole thing in and.
0: He became more proficient falling from aircraft with heavy stuff. That's what he did. A hundred percent. As well as, as, as a, usually a ton, at night, uh, at night, as well yeah. as like, got really good probably at like uh chaining and unchaining uh vehicles in an airplane because shackle drills
1: shackles i haven't even thought about shackle drills and it's literally making me want to vomit right now that's my um, number
0: one motivation to go yeah. to jump master school i'm like oh fuck, I, died. I just don't want to do get out of that anymore. yeah
1: yeah so it was good i mean like timeline wise you couldn't ask for anything any better i did one full training cycle and then we deployed uh, in 2015 so
0: yeah, new guy coming to two seven five, were you put immediately were you on a fire team or were you on a, a gun team?
1: I was on a fire team.
0: Okay. Now you I talked was... about your the bumps that you had with your, you know, getting your EIB and everything out of the gate, but what was mm-hmm. it like? What was your relationship like with your team leader? Because I think that sets kind of the stage for what your experience in regiment is going to be like.
1: Yeah, I would 100% agree. It honestly comes down to your leadership. Um, and both of my team leaders, and I always say both because in a squad, it may surprise people, but like a squad is your squad leader, two team leaders, and then you ideally want to have what, eight to 10 people. I don't think we ever had that no. many guys, yeah. right? You're always just changing people around. I would tell people that like people move teams and or squads sometimes daily, not like just for funsies, but like some, one week you could be somewhere and one week you could be somewhere else. So there's a lot of changeover. Um, so I'd say my first two team leaders and my squad re- leader, really, but you're absolutely right. Your team leader runs your day to day. Like your day is based off of your team leader's mood, um, how they, how their night was last night, what they had for breakfast and all that. So um, I would say I was really lucky, honestly. Both One of my team leaders had just come back from his time in the dog's platoon. So kind of a specialty thing that we have in battalion. And another guy had had at least three or four trips. I want to say I just felt really privileged because I mean, everyone at that time in battalion for the most part is very experienced, but being a brand new private and having, yeah, I'm on trip number six, he's on seven and he's on five was like more than it already was, was okay, shut the hell up and do whatever these people say. And that was a really good um, intro to it because it was, I think we all worked really well together. Honestly, we had a really good squad and, our whole platoon was like really good. We did a really solid training cycle. You know how it is; like guys get competitive about company live fire and like squad uh, battle drill and all that. And uh, we we had it going pretty well. The whole platoon was really clicking going into deployment, so that was nice. But um, I, I got along with my team leaders really well. I'll never forget my first squad leader was a huge meathead, and we never did cardio, and it was awesome. We literally lifted every single day, and it was like. And then my team leaders, that's another thing. It's like, oh, mom and dad are fighting, right? Because they're just people, too, that have their own leadership principles and ideas. And team leaders are like, all right, you better be running every fucking night. (laughs) It's like, you know, I mean, you're going to the gym twice a day as it is. But it was just funny because I swear to you, that whole training cycle, we lifted every single day. And we would leave the cage that night in the squalor to be like, all right, tonight you need to lift chest and shoulders. We're doing back and by tomorrow. And it was like, all right sick you know all my friends are out there doing uh 12 mile ruck marches i'm worried about a bench press so um yeah it was good though no i was i was happy with the whole first setup honestly um because you're right you're at you're at somebody's disposal you know it's totally up to your leadership
0: no absolutely and like it, it's crazy how those relationships and like the bonds that you form not only with like the other people that are on your team but like the how competent your team leader and squ- squad leader are like yeah again yeah. like they it's, they it's they the same can,
1: principle as you might think oh my boss is so stupid like nah. okay that 100 percent that happens in real life and all that but like imagine having a boss that quote-unquote sucks or is stupid like in an environment where they can ruin your life like yeah. that's really not fun so and
0: i've seen um, it i've seen a lot of kids like you know they just don't mesh yeah. and maybe they didn't get moved right away and like it turns bad like quick yeah you know there's uh, again like there's bad leaders everywhere But like, there's a ton of really good leaders who are like out to do the right thing or what they perceive to be the right thing at the time. There's mechanisms in place to course correct at every level to ensure that Mm -hmm. like at the end of the day, that like, you know, each team, each squad, each platoon, and each company are doing the shit that they need to do to get ready. And that's for war, like you're preparing for Mm -hmm. war. And that's what you know, we breeze through your, your training cycle. But like, mentally emotionally like where were you at at that time coming through a whirlwind of training and then finally getting to battalion and then being like oh shit like this is when like this is when it really like starts now like we're we're going yeah. to combat
1: that like hit especially probably <laughs> uh probably company live fire night live <laughs> when it's uh the for us call like part of our training cycle. Uh, the company live fire is just a culmination. It is literally the entire company. Um, so all four platoons, I would say what approximately 150, maybe 200 people. You have multiple air assets. It is basically the closest thing we would have to a quote unquote game. Yeah. Um, that you can have in a training scenario and you do that during the day with blanks and you do it at, during the day with live bullets and then you do it night blank and then you do it night live. So that being my first whole training cycle and getting to company live fire and you get to see the uh, the American military machine at its full might. And it's like, quote, I mean, it's fake. We're shooting paper targets and buildings and things like that. But it's like the, the bullets are real. The, the, the little bird above you that's ripping rockets is real. The A-10 is real, the F-16, everything. So that was like, oh, and we had known we were going to deploy at this point because uh, your company live fires towards the end of your training cycle. And I was like, all right, let's, uh, let's see this stuff in country, you know, um, let's, let's get to it. Like you said, it's like, okay, we've been practicing. I think a, a lot of people make the uh, comparison. It's like, all you do is practice, 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 practice. And then sometimes you don't get to play because that can happen with, you don't, you don't get to choose if your platoon deploys, right. You don't get to choose if your company deploys. Um, our, my platoon, we literally went as a, a platoon plus to BCO. So it was BCO and then all of Bravo company. And then just my platoon. So we were stoked to even go but it's like yeah I knew guys in my rasp class that were in my company in a different platoon that weren't deploying. So I was just happy literally happy to be going like we all are. I mean that's what you do in that job specifically. Like I certainly don't speak for anybody but I don't think anybody joins Ranger Regiment in any capacity to not deploy. Yep. Um so that was a huge motivation and it's a goal, right? You're going to put yourself through this suck and you're going to try and suffer and all that. It's like dude, that's the payoff. So is definitely surreal, but also like really, really exciting.
0: Where'd you guys go to?
1: Uh Scorpion.
0: All right. So primarily a uh, training, I would say, and a little bit of operational uh, aspect located outside of Kabul, Afghanistan.
1: Just outside of Kabul, Kabul. Um, short flight from Bagram Airfield, aka America in Afghanistan. Um, yeah, it would pretty close to Kabul, honestly, it would feel like V bids or vehicle borne IEDs. You could feel it at uh scorpion which was random i was like oh holy shit so that was one way to notice that yeah you're in afghanistan now this like you said this is like this is the real shit man this is war like um but yeah i liked i mean it wasn't that bad at all it is as you said training it's like the um that par- that portion scorpion is like the uh, equivalent of fort benning but for the afghan national army so people are aware so we literally have Thousands of Afghan National Army recruits around us, like doing their training and learning how to shoot, and we're helping them train up, which was a huge part of our operation there. So that was also pretty surreal because green on blue tax are a huge thing. Um, especially like, like
0: that time, I'm trying to think of like through your timeline, that was like pretty much like yeah. at the heat of Afghan, yeah, you it know, was everybody, not just like so. 2014 theoretically everybody's like oh we're done with afghanistan this mission or this operation is complete we are mm-hmm. uh moving on but like that didn't actually happen obviously
1: yeah not quite right
0: but like green on blue was that it's it's like highest then to give i mean a, a simple example our our um
1: our barracks or whatever you would call it is just a wood building. And that's like behind a gate. It's on the, the FOB, the forward operating base it's behind the HESCOs and the barbed wire and all that. It's like fine. But just outside of our little gate is this huge area of all these other people that are training to be in the Afghan national army. And just to go to the range to shoot, which is something we did all the time. You literally go get your shit. You get a can of ammo, get in the Humvee and you drive over there. And as we're driving over there every day, like my, the first day, but the first day and every day after, obviously, my team leader is like, yeah, have a round in the chamber and be like, you know, keep your head on a swivel. Because like, I honestly, we're in a Humvee driving and there are a huge formation of literally 200 people walking towards us. They don't have weapons or anything, but it doesn't matter. You don't know. And then they just walk around the Humvee and then we keep driving. But you're literally just like, um, okay, a lot of bad things could happen right now, potentially. Um, so that was just an, an, an interesting, obviously not every Ford operating base is like that. Um, but that was just a nice little wrinkle that we got to deal with. And then when we'd go on five mile runs, which is <laughs> as obviously we're running all the time. So all the privates are doing PT tests over there. Uh, Scorpion was at 71, 72 elevation. So that was really good for the lungs. And we would run five milers and our team leader would be in a truck behind us with a gun because just to the right is like the shooting range of where, again, these Afghan national army privates are learning how to become marksmen, allegedly. And you know, your boss is like, don't worry, man, I got it. And in your head, you're like, dude, got what if he shoots me, I'm shot and then you're going to shoot him. And then what, like, what do you mean? Right. Um, it was just, again, just another random, like what the fuck is going on? But it is Afghanistan, man. It's, uh, <laughs> it's interesting to see it. Obviously, uh, through that, through that lens,
0: not only, yeah, like 7,200 feet elevation, but like air quality is not the best up there. So it's
1: not great. uh, It's not great. It's a little dirty around the camp. Um, (laughs) It's not a lot of running water in Afghanistan. Uh, Fortunately there is for us because everything that's over there, but yeah, it's it's a developing country in the truest sense of the word, man. And once you get there, you're like, holy shit. I
0: guess, you know, probably not the first deployment or a deployment that anybody ever really expects but ultimately like being grateful that you actually got to deploy and weren't stuck still just doing another iteration or training or doing whatever else you know back at at Lewis. But what did you learn from the first deployment? I mean, you had to pick up something you're you're dealing with our Afghan counterparts, but you're growing in the military, obviously like you said you're you're training doing PT for the next iteration of of training that will be in your pipeline, right. but There has to be some key takeaways that you found there that maybe it's just trying to settle down and figure out what life in the military is actually all about. I learned a lot for sure. I think obviously you all do. Um, Probably one of the biggest things is
1: that (laughs) I was continuously grateful that I was made it through RASP and everything because I have good friends that were in the conventional army that deployed for nine months. And that is brutal. So our uh, four-month rotations are pretty sweet compared to that. And by the time of that, hang around 40 or 50 guys in a big wood hut. You're certainly ready to never see them again for at least your 17 days of leave. Um, but other than that, it was just, I mean, it's solidified. I was, again, very, like you said, very happy to do it. That was my only deployment. We didn't catch another one, unfortunately. Um, but I think the biggest thing, especially in a combat environment um, overseas and all that, it's obviously far different than your normal work scenario at home because you see your bosses, you see your you know, squad mates or whatever. And then you go home and then you come back to work. Like, you know, it's a normal day. um, But over there it's continuous. It's four months straight of work in reality. And your bosses can really ruin your life. But I think that was probably the most um, influential part of my life and especially my military career that really is like, okay, this is what a good leader does. And this is what a bad leader does. Um, Whether that was just interacting with your dudes on a daily basis or like just treating your dudes like shit if it came to the gym or something that was important but in the moment in that exact scenario was like very minuscule and some people realized it and like let it go or you handle it a different time and you squash it later and other guys would just like freak out on their dudes and um potentially create like undue stress when it's already like in the back of my head like not every day but it took it took me a solid month to like want to go to sleep all the time, you know? Cause I I mean, dude, I don't know. You're at work 24 seven. Like, I don't know what's going to happen if we're on QRF quick reaction force. Obviously that's different. Like we're staged. We know we have a, a quasi mission that night, I would call it. And hopefully in reality, you're not going anywhere. Right. Cause that means it's a really bad night for somebody else. Um, but you know, there were times when we would just be sleeping and come, somebody would come in and wake us up and we'd go somewhere. So it sometimes it's planned out, sometimes it's not. So I think that aspect of like always being ready took me some time to settle into. Um, but aside from that, it was just like really seeing what a good leader truly is um, is the easiest way I can put it. It's just the way you treat your guys. And then also the work that they put in to make themselves better. It's ultimately make the squad better to ultimately make the unit better was pretty, pretty insightful, honestly. And some guys do the opposite and that sucks, but you know, they have rank and you don't, and that's where it ends. So Uh, You just got to deal with
0: it. Deployment also is like the first opportunity. And hopefully you got to see this a little bit. But like basically from your perspective, you saw everything at like a squad and a platoon and and really a company level, sometimes some battalion Mm -hmm. stuff. But like deployed, you're seeing everything from like the task force or theater level and like key changes and things that you're seeing on the news like you are seeing play out directly in front of you. And it gives you this macro perspective of something that everybody thinks they know a ton about, but really, they don't know shit.
1: A hundred percent. I would. And that still goes on to this day. Right. I mean, I still talk to my same few buddies that I have and try to stay abreast on, I don't know, I don't want to say geopolitics, but like shit that matters to us. Um, So yeah, that was also incredibly insightful. Like, obviously not everyone has access to the talk or the tactical operations center, the command base, if you will, to watch a mission go on or somebody to see our assets conducting surveillance and things like that. And they shouldn't like, that's not just, Hey, come check this out. Right. But once you're in that world and really see what all of that, what all goes into that, um, not for some people, not trying, but yeah, they don't know shit. And it's like, maybe just don't act or don't talk like you do. It's not a bad thing that you don't know that, but, it's like the only reason I know that is because I was in Ranger regiment and I was in Afghanistan, dude. I'm not, you know, I didn't learn it from some guy down the street or whatever like that, but also seeing certain decisions that were made by like super, super higher ups. um, You know, the big generals that talk to the, the chief of, you know, commander in chief. um, Even that, I like, I saw that play out in real time one time and it's like, Hey, we're not going on this because of X, Y, and Z. And he's like, well, you just heard the man, that's the president. And you're like, Yep. what the fuck who what you heard <laughs> that huh what what like and that's or it's just you know it just goes back to that's kind of where in a way it's nice to be a dumb private because you're just like all right dude if you need me i'll be over here um other than that i'm just gonna go to sleep you know that's not really you're not in every single con op and you're not in all that other stuff so um it was just nuts though man it's just so much stuff i never thought i would see or be around or i mean the first helicopter ride we were in from bagram to uh, to Scorpion, like doing the minigun, let it rip off. And I was like, Oh, that that's a minigun firing live rounds. And I'm in a helicopter in Afghanistan. All right, dude, let's, let's do this. So yeah, it was, it was an awesome experience for sure, but it's crazy.
0: God, I love your fresh perspective of it because like, yeah, I've been on a, uh, like a couple thousand operations in, in my lifetime. And every time we do minigun test fires, it just pisses me off because I'm still sleeping on infill. Like these motherfuckers, just like, yeah, couldn't, yeah. Just I think i have more- been in country for 48 hours. I wasn't sleeping anytime soon. Dude. I was probably just
1: pissing my pants,
0: which is probably um, a bigger issue on me, though. Like the things that just don't <laughs> don't jade me anymore.
1: Well, it changes right after you spend more time. It's just like, yeah, this becomes normal. Like I said, like it was a little weird to try to sleep. But like, honestly, after I got comfortable, that's literally the best sleep I've ever had. Because the the hooch or what we would call our barracks, whatever you want to call it it was a, like legitimately solid wooden structure, but there's no windows. It's completely dark and it was freezing cold. So I just slept in our, you know, really thick uh sleeping bags and winter sleeping bag. And like, I have a slept I have not slept that good for that. Like solid three, three and a half months. Like, I mean, I sleep fine, but that is still the best sleep yeah. I've ever had, which is wild. Um, But like,
0: yeah, it was freezing cold and it was dark. What else would you want? I think if you could like boil it down, I think, Being deployed and being in uh, seeing special operations, regardless of what level it is, it gives you the best 300 level training of like true project management. And you don't realize Mm -hmm. it because like this is just in the military, like, oh, these are just operations. But like, no, man, like in the civilian world. And that's what kind of bothers me a little bit, because I think during transition and we'll talk about your transition that like. The military does such a horrible job of preparing people and trying to get, like, not just trained but prepared to identify the similarities between what they did while in service and preparing them for their life outside of service. And if you have just deployed a single time, you are basically have an overview of what operations and what project management is from a, a high, high level of looking at, like, Thousands and thousands and thousands of people and things and aircrafts moving and what the scheme of it is to make it all work and be successful that other people who claim to be like experts in it on the civilian side will never understand Mm -hmm. and could not comprehend. And like, I'm sorry, there's no like software that you can just plug that into and it's going to tell you exactly what needs to go.
1: There's no software, but the army is always hiring if you do want to find out for
0: sure. Um, uh, no, that's, that's awesome. So you ended up, you, you came home from deployment and, and mm. kind of what was next for you guys?
1: Uh, so after that, we, you know, we get our, our block leave, which is 17 days off that you're just super excited about. That's another fun thing is you, I, that's, uh, you're like, well, oh, what's something that's so weird about the mill? I was like, I don't know. I didn't get to choose my vacation for four years. <laughs> like, I think it was after another d- cycle or something. We, uh, went home for Christmas, but it was on the 27th. And like, people are like, can we go home before? And they're like, no, you get what you get. Um, so, yeah, right after that, just back to another training cycle um, and more of it. As a private at that time, you're excited to go to the infamous, all-knowing, all-powerful, omnipotent ranger school. Um, so that was my main focus. And as any private in ranger regiment knows, that's your only purpose to exist. That's the only reason you're breathing is to uh, go get this ranger tab and, you know, become a tab in the, in the org chart between your, it's like a, you know, your Sergeant is your team leader. And then you would be a tab that you have some authority basically just to take care of the privates. And, but I mean, you are a source of knowledge and you should be, you know, you check the box, you get your tab. And then if it's, it's your jam, you can pursue being a team leader. Um, so I did that, went to Ranger school failed. Don't have my Ranger tab. Um, yes, you can not have your Ranger tab and be an actual army Ranger for that debate that people, uh, are always confused about, but I understand it can be confusing. So yeah, that was like pretty crappy in the scheme of military life. Certainly frustrating at that time, but, um, you know, that's life. I wasn't dead. So, um, you know, things go on and you kind of just go back from there and came back and shut up and was happy to be able to stay at Ranger battalion because I was fully ready to be RFS, uh, or released for standards or fired because that is the, uh, pretty much standard protocol and that's the rules. Um, thankfully I did not. Um, so that said a lot to me that at least I wasn't that much of a piece of crap. But, um, after that pretty much one, one more training cycle and then spent some time in the arms room as on the way out with a former team leader, which was probably sounds very shit baggish to people in the military, but, uh, no regrets. Cause it was super chill and letting me start my education at ASU online and all that. So, um, yeah, I mean, it wasn't like a quick, like, Oh, I'm home and then school and then that, but, Um, the rest of the time was just like one full training cycle, ranger school. And then, uh, it was also, I mean, so I got out in 2017 and it's at that point where it's like, Hey, are you going to be a team leader? Cause you have to reenlist to do so, or do you want to do this? Cause you need to reenlist to do so. And as I said, I'd never really, um, seen myself as doing a a second reenlistment or anything like that. So, um, yeah, kind of got kicked to the arms room and you know, it is what it is. I'm never going to lie about that.
0: So life goes on. I think people are going to kill me if I don't dig in on the ranger school piece a little bit. So, Oh, please, what is, yeah. what did you fail? Land nav at? Yep. Where at? At ranger school. Okay. So you made it through pre ranger.
1: Yes. Made it through cert.
0: Okay. So you, you, Oh, the cool acronym. So, Oh yeah. There you go. No,
1: small unit ranger tactics.
0: So you made it through, you go to uh, first base, it's still at Fort Benning where it seems like all training is done uh, in the army and you've, you ended up failing land nav. So you you mm-hmm. don't just like fail it once and you're done. You all, you got to retest. So what was your deficiency? I guess what it would say when it comes to land app.
1: Uh, man, I don't know. I just, <laughs> it's so shitty. Cause I was like, pretty good at land now I was uh, that wasn't the thing that I was like oh this is where I'm going to slip up like I felt good about it I I was good at it during uh cert or pre-ranger which is just another yeah you leave your ranger battalion as a private you're completely tested up as you could be your push-ups are good to go like you're next in line to to go to this other uh, rite of passage if you will and but to do that you go to another 75th ranger regiment like pre-ranger school like Cody had mentioned and it's kind of just another training for the training so I got through that, and that was more difficult, Land Nav, everyone said, than the actual Ranger School course. And it's like, all right, man, yeah. Like, I was not sweating Land Nav at all. And then that first day, I think I got two. You had to get it three out of five. I got two. And I, like, I don't know, man. Slowed down, plotted. Like, just, I just did not, obviously, just did not find the fucking point.
0: What month of the year was this? January. All right, well, I was going to give you a, an easy excuse because I'm a firm believer that, like, <laughs> yeah, it, and it's true, like, in the wintertime and, like, early spring, the foliage is, like, completely gone on the land, of course. Like, in in yeah. summer and fall, like, all those trees are still lush with leaves, pine needles, there's vines, the swamps seem to be a little bit thicker. Yeah. Like, it is what it is, so.
1: Yeah, no excuse. I just sucked. Um <laughs> hey you got it <laughs> uh, it is what it is it was even better was like you said because you fail it and then you do the rest of the day which is like the mile and the darby queen and all that other stuff we've all seen on discovery channel and then since you were no go on land now you get to wake up at like you know at three or four and go do it all again failed again i got one point the second time so uh wasn't trending in the right direction what were you at doing
0: all? Like looking, I don't know. I honestly, there has to be like, honestly, a little bit. <laughs> a looking back on it and be like, you know, one out of five. And there's a lot of I, – I understand, like, the anxiety and the stress and being like, oh, my mm-hmm. God, like, this is – I'm done. Yeah. And you're talking about, like, pending RFS and, like, everything that you know is now, like, you went from a day earlier being like, I'm going to smoke this thing and, like, it's going to be no question I'm going to – like go straight through all of ranger school get my tab go home and like i'm gonna be the next team leader to like oh god like i'm I'm kicked out of regiment
1: (laughs) yeah it's a pretty big mood swing
0: yeah um and yeah that second morning like i i've thought
1: about it so much obviously but i like i don't i took even more time the second morning i was triple checking plots i like there's less people to follow, obviously, because most people pass Land Ave, but but um, I wasn't even sweating that. And I, I don't dude. I I wish I had a better answer as to what happened. But a couple of those were just like, dude, I'm within this point. I've cloverleafed. Like, I know this thing is here. Then it's just I just, you know, can't, I failed. I just absolutely failed. So um, you're, and abs- I'll never forget. It's probably one of the funniest things I've ever heard from a cadre. <laughs> I'm, you walk back out to the shed and this is like all the failures group, right? So like, there already know people are on the chopping <laughs> block. And I go up there, I give my, I give my card with my one point on it. And he's like, one point, where are you from? And I was like, 275, fives And he's like, not for long. Oh shit. <laughs> And I was like, even I laughed. I was like, yeah, Roger, that's hard. <laughs> like, what are you supposed to say at that point? Cause I just, you know, I did it to myself, of course. Um, so, yeah, that was sick. Um,
0: what were you thinking? That, uh, what were you thinking of at the time? Like, you, uh, so you know, I was thinking you're, how, you're, I was you're
1: thinking of how upset my team leader and squad leaders were going to be because I had a really good relationship with them. And I, like, so disappointment. I deserved to go to school. Yeah, I wasn't being, a, I was not a shitty private. Says someone who fails ranger school. Yeah, I get that. But there is I wasn't like such a piece of crap, but I felt so, so defeated. So much disappointment. Um, And then I just thought that, like, I was like, God, where am I? Once you get when you get RFS, like you don't get to say, I want to go to the 82nd. No, I want to go here. Like you are at the demand of the regular army. So it was like, where am I going to go? What's this going to happen? It was just an absolute shit show. Um, and it was a huge sense of embarrassment, like literally just absolutely fucking embarrassed. I mean, if anything that I would fail, like at Ranger school, like, Oh, like I'm going to be upset, frustrated, embarrassed, but like, tell somebody you failed land nav. It's not, it's, it's not a very like, Oh, what? Like, yeah, like, yeah, it's just, it's just sucked.
0: So when did you talk to your team leader next?
1: Um, let's see. I think, so I processed out of school. I think I texted him. Cause then I went back to pre-ranger and, or maybe he texted me and said, yeah, one seven says you're out. <laughs> and I was like, we should be our platoon sergeant. So he's basically telling me that, yeah, you are going to get canned. And I was like, all right, man. Yeah. I'm not here to debate or argue. anything. like, what can you do? And
0: it's crazy. Uh, this is my point of like where communications at and everything. Cause it seems like when, when you're waiting for something, like to happen operationally like it takes forever like i've i Mm -hmm. was in regiment when we're like waiting for orders to come like on the surge and we're like oh they just ordered up these additional ten thousand troops so like they're gonna ask for another company like a company's transitioning from afghanistan to iraq and like we're just waiting on these orders and like it seemed like it took forever but for Mm -hmm. some reason if i had a private go to ranger school and failed like before they're even back to like RTB headquarters already have a text message. like, you need to go to first sergeant's office now because private, whatever <laughs> failed. Right. Ranger school. And it's yeah. your fault. I was like, fuck me, man. Like, yeah, <laughs> I don't even know what I just happened. This yet.
1: Kid and now I didn't even do anything other than send this kid. <laughs> yeah. And now I'm, I'm on this choppy block. What the fuck? So yeah, that, I don't know. It's just, it was crappy, but
0: at the time, yeah, it seems like, like your world, like honestly,
1: at the time it's so defeating. Yeah. I was like, every level of embarrassment and failure and everything is just exacerbated times a hundred. Cause like, again, as a private in regiment, like, yeah, you need to be good at your job and do good training cycle and obviously do a good job on deployment, but it's almost this whole time that none of that is as important as going to ranger school and getting your tab. Right. It's this mystique of like, not a mystique, I shouldn't say that, but it's just, that's all they fucking care about. That's all you talk about. That's every push up you do is to pass the ranger school PT test. And then you get to see all these people do all these things. And that's like, I think this could kind of go into how the tab I feel is split on such a ridiculous pedestal because as a private, after one deployment, I would have a tab or somebody come in and he's asking me questions. <laughs> so you're telling me I'm at the bottom of the bottom. I'm, I suck. I'm a private. I know nothing. That's great. But you have this guy who's asking me questions, how to run a weapon system or whatever the, the case may be you run into stuff like that. And it's like, dude, what, you know, like why is this, you know, it just kind of speaks to what that school can be. I mean, it's a very arbitrary school, man. I've had, I've seen guys do the 41 push push-up club. I saw it happen right next to me. And to explain that, that is just, you have to do, I want to say it's 42. If the number's wrong, don't tell me, I really don't care. Um, so you have to do 42 push push-ups. And as a private in Ranger regiment, if you go to Ranger school, you are a god at pushups. Like you knock out 90 plus, no questions, because there's such a rigorous process at battalion to send you to Ranger School that, like, you, there's no way you could not do 42. Like, you could do 42 one handed. And guys would get to 41, and then the cadre would just say 41, 41. And they would go really slow and slam their chest. And they still say 41. 41. I had a good friend fail ranger school like that in my platoon. (laughs) We went home together because he had that and I had land have. And it's like, at that point, at least you can commiserate a little bit. But again, it's just like, it can be an important thing. And I completely understand the tradition of it, especially in regiment. It is a rite of passage. You need to go there. You need to get your shit and you need to move on. But there is somewhat of a flip side of like, it is not the end all be all. That's just my opinion. Like, I don't really care about my experience looking back, if I could change it, like, no, dude, I absolutely failed 1 billion percent, but it's just kind of, it can be a little askew um, with how much emphasis can be put on that. I mean, I'm sure, you know, guys, like I've seen good ass dudes, that school, like you can get really hurt. <laughs> like graduated ranger school takes a lot of luck, man. Like just go, and just like rasp. Like I'm, I'm very grateful. If someone's like, what do you do to get through rasp? I don't know, just work hard and, be a man and you know, bust your ass and don't get hurt. Like that's a huge thing, right? Well, you can't control that. It's so easy to get hurt. Um, and guys would go to ranger school and come back and their body is fucked up. And then they literally like are not able to be a team leader anymore. I've yeah. seen that you, before. You're no longer
0: operational. Cool. I'm glad you right. passed this leadership right. school. Well, why am and I no it, longer it operational?
1: So because exactly. Yeah. I'm no longer operational because I went to this ranger school that is Vietnam era tactics. But we think it's like the holy grail of military training. So I'm not I'm not going to keep uh, poo-pooing Ranger School, although I would be happy to. But there are certainly people in the military to certainly include officers that get their Ranger tab. And then, like, they are just the shit. And it's like, buddy, you don't know anything. Um, it's just interesting to see. And I think that kind of exacerbated itself the longer I was in. I got out, like, October of 2017. Um, so just like, again, seeing the turnover of guys who got it, didn't get it, just the perception of it is it's, I think it's so much easier to say all this, obviously a few years removed from the military. Um, but as time goes on, like I, you know, the same stuff you, I bullshit with my buddies about, I'm like, God, remember how much we cared about rager school and like this and that. And it's just, it's an odd thing, man, even within regiment, it's like, it, it carries so much power, but it really doesn't. You know, cause, um, it's wild. It's hard to describe.
0: No, nah, and anybody else who has any questions or comments and or uh, opinions on uh, Ranger School and its necessity in the seventy fifth Ranger Regiment, please reach out to Kevin Deckel. I'll give you me his email in the show notes, and he will discuss. Yeah. I'm just kidding. I'm, I'm gonna...
1: happy. I'm happy to discuss how how much of a, a liability I was and not an asset. Yes, please.
0: <laughs> okay, moving on. So you get back to battalion. Everything's fine. You you continue on. I'm sure you went through another training cycle. You guys didn't get selected to deploy. You go to the training room. That's awesome. Why did you decide when you when you originally started your transition? What made you go to Arizona State online? And like, was that something that was Arizona was pulling you or that's just, hey, it's really good weather. And that's kind of where I see myself at.
1: Uh, pretty much the weather part. I had known a few guys from Arizona. I'd never set foot in Arizona until I moved here after the army.
0: Um,
1: I obviously do enjoy golf. I knew the weather was the complete opposite of Seattle, Tacoma area, still close to home. And I just felt like it's Arizona state. How is that not fun? Then I'll just come down here and use the GI bill and have great weather and play some golf. And it's just, I thought it'd be a good fit. So honestly, I was just like, yeah, let's just do it. And it was easy, <laughs> easy to do that. When I've never been in the state when I'm just coming off of something I'm like, yeah, I've never been in the army either. So I don't care where I move. Right. <clears throat> um, I wasn't really stressed about it. Um, so in the arms room, I was, I feel I was at least smart enough to start using my TA, which is tuition assistance to start taking classes online at ASU. And that was beneficial because it didn't tap into my GI bill, so I was able to use save, save some of that on the back end. Um, and the reason I even went with ASU, it was online. I'm scrolling through all the online options, like I wanted a name brand school to say the least. And I was like, hey, you know, if I start this online program, can I come to you guys in person? They're like, oh yeah, you literally just switch over. It's super easy. And I was like, all right, I guess I'm moving to Arizona. Um, ASU was super helpful and. It was very veteran friendly for sure. Um, but honestly, it was that easy. I don't have any family down here or anything, but I just thought it'd be a good fit and the weather and the golf. And um, it just worked out super, super
0: well. When you were still up in Tacoma, was that when you were kind of getting back into golf or was it a part of your life or not at all?
1: Um, you know, I grew up playing golf just with my dad, like nothing super, super intense. I, he he's a lefty. So he'd always say like, well, I can tell you what you do, but you're not going to get it. So he would just draw. I was a huge range rat as a kid. So I just pound balls and try to figure it out on my own. Um, I, I mean, we played some golf when I was in the Army. and Some guys didn't. a lot of guys did play, but it's like a really solid excuse to drink beer, especially in the Army if you got a weekend or whatever. Um, and there's a couple of good courses at Fort Lewis and Joint Base Lewis McCord, I should say. And it's like a great price. You can't beat that if you're like, you know, lower enlisted. It was super cheap. And um, so I didn't play a whole lot up in Washington or anything like that, but was excited to hopefully just get into golf, maybe the business side of it or anything, getting down to Arizona. And I knew that there was abundant sunshine and tons of options to go play.
0: Uh, so what was drawing you to the golf industry? Yeah, I, I, I'm assuming you're going to say, cause you get to spend a lot of time outside and you enjoy that part of it, but what kind of yeah. specifically?
1: Um, well, let's see. My first job moving down here, I worked at Papago Golf Course. I worked in the golf shop. So that was my first ever job in golf.
0: Hey, what's up with that? Uh, uh, is uh, the car barn guy still there?
1: Kyle, yes. The car barn guy is kicking. What, On and kicking. We were coworkers, kind of. Yeah. Uh, you know, he's doing his car barn guy's
0: thing. It always seemed weird to me. I mean, it's, all over, it's, was, it's funny, and, like, I've, I've always been so impressed, like, kind of watching his growth and stuff, but I guess I haven't seen yeah. much of him late, and yeah. I always was just kind of like, well, I mean, I've worked at a lot of clubs in my time, and eventually, like, you move out of the car barn.
1: Yeah, um, I'm not too sure. I think he's still trying to chase the dream, honestly, of playing. I know he does a lot of quals, and he's a heck of a player. Um, Hey, he got to go to Pebble Beach on a, right. <laughs> on a trip with Lexus, and I did it, so uh, more power to him. He's a good dude, though. Is that was wild though. Cause I was in the golf shop and people would come in and be like, are the car barn guys here? And I'm like, yeah, the staff is working. What do you mean? <laughs> like, like, Oh no, like the guy. And I was like, Oh, so I work here, but like celebrity quote unquote works here. What is going on? Um, and it was funny. I even found that golf course. My roommate at the time in Arizona who had actually known through basic, um, was like, Oh, you got to go to Papago. It's a great course in the States, it's a great muni. And like it is, but when I get there, it's a double wide trailer. <laughs> the clubhouse under construction,
0: dude. So I don't I'm not being a great fit. I never like when I lived in Phoenix for four and a half years. I never played Popago, like I never oh, really heard anything of it. That like wasn't a place that we went to.
1: Yeah, we got to get back out. I well, know I, a guy. I've played.
0: Yeah, I've played it since then. But like it was yeah. always the, you know, from being like at main campus and then being like over at East Campus. We just like we either on, and I know the course isn't there anymore, but we played like the campus course.
1: Yeah, Carston.
0: Yeah, before they fucking like bulldozed it or whatever. R.I.P. Yeah, and then if like to hit balls, we always went to Dobson just because it was like a lit mm. driving range.
1: Yeah, it still is. It's uh, been vastly improved. They got like TrackMan and everything going on, really? and rocking out there. Wow. Yeah, it's nuts. It's a it's a booming driving range pretty crazy. But yeah, I mean, that that was my first job ever in golf. And I, I wanted to work at a golf course because I went there with the intention of wanting to work outside and make tips. So I was like, yeah, hell yeah. It's a college job, cash money. I never had a tip job before. <laughs> so that was like my desire. Um, I walked into the trailer. It was right before they were going to open after Overseed. And again, this is a double wide trailer. I didn't know what was going on. It's supposed to be a good golf course, but there's a, a clubhouse being built. I was just like so shook as to what I was seeing. Um, but yeah, I had an interview with the guy the next day, uh, Daryl Crawford, a boss I'm still very good friends with that. I continue to be very grateful for. Um, but that was my first job in golf and I really liked it. I didn't want to be an inside guy. I didn't want to be an assistant pro. I didn't want to be a head pro. I didn't want to get my PGA. I was just happy to be working at a golf course. Um, get doing undergrad. I worked four days. I worked three days a week and just opened. I was like, it's just, I mean, it's ideal, right? Yeah. Um, and then after that, I just knew that I was going to I finished undergrad and then I just wanted to keep using the GI Bill. So I got into that master's program um, and was able to find an internship in golf, which, again, was very beneficial. And um, obviously that parlayed into the job at Phoenix that I had talked about. But it wasn't I mean, the start of working in golf or anything for me wasn't like editing this seat right here, right now with this position, with this company um which is truly surreal (laughs) because i've only been here like six weeks it's you know eight weeks ago i was still scrubbing hooks so it's kind of wild but um where'd you do that
0: internship yeah i mean
1: the internship was uh at phoenix country club for the charles schwab event uh for the champion the tour champions for the old guys
0: so let me uh, um you're right i mean i think a lot of people are gonna be like wow how'd this guy just pop up in Mura? and you're like don't realize that when you put it all together like you see this this growth and per like you know, really cool progression through the industry yeah, and learning like different facets of it all along the way.
1: Yeah, it was. And I'm grateful to have started at like a green grass property, everybody would call it. And I'm grateful I started inside because, man, you don't really get to know dealing with people and dealing with golfers until you're the guy inside who has to give the money back if the, the pace is too slow or this or that, which you get every single day. So that was really good. Obviously, extremely client-facing. I'll talk to anybody on the phone. I don't care who you are. I'm happy to chat. <laughs> like, it's all good. Um, and like I think what you're like the, the progression, if you will, yeah, like when I was at Phoenix, I was happy first of all, I was happy to get a job outside for sure. And I knew that the tips were going to be great and it was fun and it was everything I could have ever wanted. And I truly still love that job. Still know the head pro there very well. But doing that during grad school, it wasn't my my thought every day wasn't all right, I'm going to talk to member X today to get this job. That wasn't my absolute, um, thought process, I should say, but it was definitely in the back of my mind of like, what does that guy do? Okay. What does that guy do? I mean, if you can't network working outside of a country club, like that is the best LinkedIn you're ever going to find. Yep. Um, so I just knew that if I, you know, made a good impression or just met the right people and you got to talk yourself up in the right way. Um, I just let them know of my experience. I let them know I had a master's degree that I finished all this stuff and that, uh, yeah, I'm potentially looking for something else. So you just kind of do that and network. And yeah, I got extremely lucky for sure, but, um, it's all kind of, uh, organic growth, which is, uh, it's just crazy. Man. <laughs> I'd be the first one to tell you that's it's
0: pretty nuts. I can't believe you didn't get enlisted to the PXG troops. Like where's Dr. Bob mm. at? Probably because you're at the wrong golf course.
1: I'm not too sure. You know, uh, don't know about all the, I'm, I'm just, I'm happy that they have all the money to do all the ad spend that they do. And, uh, you know, we have nothing but, uh, respect for all other OEMs in the sphere. So, but they are just across the air park here. So actually we're pretty close.
0: You're such a company, man. I love it now. Yeah. Yeah. It's uh it, it could be very painfully
1: corporate Kevin. Caddy Kevin is still alive and well, he's in there somewhere, but you know, he's had to change a little bit. So
0: what is Mira golf?
1: Golf is an equipment manufacturer. We make irons and wedges, and we're a very niche, unique brand that produces the finest forge clubs that I would say human hands can make. Um, It's a very different process than your other Titleist and major OEMs and TaylorMade and things like that. Um, We're a very, very relative to those people I just mentioned. We are extremely, extremely small. Um, Our market share in the U.S. is very small compared to that. Um, worldwide, especially in Asia, which is a ginormous golf market. Uh, we're extremely highly regarded, but it's a, certainly a top-end club. It's not an inexpensive product, um, and it's just a, a brand that is really just high-end, high-quality, the best irons that um, that we can make, and we're able to do that because of the one factory that we have in Japan and the family, or Katsuhiro Mira, who is the, Mr. Mira, who is the gentleman that started this company and has been working in golf since the 50s. Um, and this is, I would, uh, akin to, uh, in and out, they do one thing and they do it the best. Uh, I, I say that would, we at Mira would do irons and wedges and we do them the absolute best. Um, and it's a product that we're just trying to grow and have more people play. So everything still comes out of the same factory. Correct. It is all in Himeji, Japan. All right. One factory and one factory only.
0: So I guess my question always has been like, all right, very, very good hand forged, irons and wedges and i think kind of the confusion for a lot of people and why i asked like is it still the same factory is because i guess kind of the last couple of years of the stand-up of like what mira north america is is that right and like the difference between like what's what's the difference between like mira brand and like mira north america
1: i would so mira geekin is what we would call the factory in mira okay. um and here at mira golf is what i would call us or the u.s we are simply they're redistribute dis- on their behalf so we just get it from the, from the factory. And then, you know, we're kind of one of their main distributors, but for the U S we bought those rights. And then, I mean, there is another brand in Japan called Mira Geekin or MG. So in Japan they have MG and then they, we also have Mira. So we're working on kind of blending those two together and, you know, creating that same perception that is the same exact golf club, because that's what it is. And they perform the same exact way. Um, so I'd say the confusion is I uh, maybe just that, We're just another distributor of that same thing, but it's still that same unique niche brand that is all coming from the same factory uh, in Japan. I
0: I mean, it is such a small company, but like, if people are out there looking to get mirror clubs, what's Mm -hmm. the process that they can go to? Because I know, like, you can go to a true spec or Club Champion or like any high end fitter, they'll have them Mm -hmm. and have the availability to fit and order them. But like, what's uh, anybody else? What what's the path that they need to go down?
1: We have those big dist- or those bigger box stores, like you mentioned, PGA Tour Superstore, Club Champion. We're actually owned by the same uh, parent company as TrueSpec. So we're all under the same 8 a.m. golf umbrella. We just certainly work hand in hand with them. They're directly downstairs from uh, my office. So other than that, we do have dealers all over the country and the world that uh, carry our equipment. It's all on the website. You can find the, the dealer locator. Um, so that is an option. And then also just the e-commerce side of looking at the product and purchasing it that way. Um, is you can kind of get some demos and things like that if that's what you're looking to do, but it kind of just depends. But obviously, would certainly incur like anything. Like it's beneficial to get fit, especially for this, these irons. It, it's a different feel, and we would want you to make sure that it's the best uh, setup you can have for that purchase.
0: So it's. I mean, I know you're relatively new into the job, but like a a large like cult following. Like if you have yeah,
1: a hundred percent.
0: Like Mira's, your like it's a kind of a, a statement piece, and kind of what have you it is. what have you learned about that side of it?
1: I have learned that there are many many people, probably hopefully some that listen to this that know a lot more about the brand than I do, and that speaks to that cult following, like you said. Um, if you scroll, if you look at any of our Iron reviews or a Wedge review or anything on Golf WRX, gosh, the the knowledge that fans that true followers of the brand know is like so awesome. And I think that's so unique because that just speaks to how much they enjoy it and care about it and support it. And it is that kind of unique, like small thing that people are I mean, the cult following, like you said, is uh very accurate and I would echo that for sure. And I've learned that. Um I better know my P's and Q's, that's for sure. But there's also a lot to learn. But um So do you enjoy it? Oh yeah. It's different. It's a huge change. I mean like I said, this is my first quote unquote, real job Monday through Friday, uh, nine to five. So that's kind of wild that I'm doing that a little bit, uh, later stage of life than maybe my friends had started at. Um, but I, I love it. It's a, it's a new challenge to be able to play mirror is honestly pretty fun. Yeah. That's pretty Uh, cool. The iron, the irons are uh, quite sweet if anybody's able to uh, test them out or get a set in your hands. But yeah, so it's, it's awesome. I mean, the, the person that hired me, uh, was a member is a member at Phoenix country club. So, not to make that sound like I was his person. He just brought in off the street, but I'm extremely grateful. And I feel it's very beneficial that I got to know him very well. And he was able to speak with me and, you know, find that I would be a good fit. So to be able to have that dynamic with my, you know, quote unquote boss is a huge benefit. And, you know, we're just kind of chipping away at it and, you know, doing that Monday through Friday corporate grind. Like I said, dude, emails and everything else.
0: I know. And how come, uh, like other bigger OEMs, like you mentioned, like, you know, a very large, I guess, tour staff that leads like their marketing side and not so much on mm-hmm. Mira, except for like, if you look a little bit below the surface, you'll see like Abe plays Mira's, you know, there, there's, right. uh, and he's probably the, the first one that like jumps out at the screen at me, but not yeah, really a sure. big splash on the professional stage. Is there like a thought process behind that?
1: Um, I would say our biggest thing is that, I mean, we do not pay for play. Um, and that's just kind of our strategy and that's how it's been and that how it's, how is it, is how it will continue to be. Um, so whether it's Abe Answer, who is a huge partner of ours and, um, we love being with him and all that, like someone, Oh, you guys don't pay Abraham Answer? Like, no, we don't. We don't. Brant Snedeker is another person that plays our equipment. He's had some CB301s in the bag it's certainly up to their preference if they'd like to make a change or anything like that. But I think it's we're probably pretty unique in that regard that we don't pay for play. And um, that I would say the company mantra is that we believe the equipment speaks for itself. And if someone would like to make that change, then we're happy to support them potentially in that way, if they're at a certain level or anything like that. Um, but other than that, I think it is more so our goal to stay a little smaller and hopefully have people seek us out. If our equipment is at the level that we feel that it is as opposed to maybe knocking on doors and saying, or maybe trying to force it on people or anything like that.
0: I mean, I th- phenomenal products and nobody disagrees with that. I think the yeah. the history and lineage behind the brand and like the fact that it's still in the same family is incredible.
1: Yeah. It's, and it's, it's unbelievable. I mean, Katsuhiro Mira, his two sons, I mean, they're on there and Mr. Mira is still on the grind wheel every single day Um, every single head that comes out of the factory is touched by three to four sets of human hands. Um, when you get into the the minutia of that, it's honestly insane. You know, like his one son is a little more business focused. Another son is, has been learning the trade from his father forever. Um, and it's just like, how cool is that? Right. How unique is that? And it's just such a, such a cool company.
0: What have you learned? I guess we talked a little bit about like the Asian market, but, and it is a lot bigger than the United States. Oh yeah. Kind of digging in because I think like Mira is definitely like more of a name, like household name brand there than it is here. So kind of, is there any surprising things that you've learned or, or developed through understanding that?
1: Um, I wouldn't say not a lot as of yet, at least just that the demand is, it's, it's crazy to actually see it, I guess, on paper, if you will, like the demand and the numbers for that area of the world are crazy, um, so it's. I, I would say the big thing I've learned is just that what, whatever we can produce, there is a market for it. So we're just there to produce as much as we can and be as efficient about it as possible, and hopefully get it as off as get it out, you know, to everyone as we can. And it's just crazy trying to m- learn how to manage all the hiccups that come along with that along the way.
0: Yeah, especially like when you're dealing with severe issues in like global distribution and shipping right, right now. Yeah. Crazy. And even
1: speaking with the factory, like, again, it's only in Japan. So that's a big call for us because we have to call Japan and then we have a translator and, um, it's certainly a process, but, um, one that we're excited to do and again, new for me for sure, but so far so good.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So what did you get fit into?
1: Uh, CB three Oh ones. And then a couple of tour wedges. Ooh. So our one Oh one is like the truest blade two Oh one's kind of a, uh, A player cavity, that's what Abraham Answer plays. And then the 301 is uh, a little more forgiving after that. So got to get that uh, 11.5 handicap nice and high so I can still be a guest in member guest events, hopefully.
0: (laughs) Out there swinging your sword. I'm excited for you. Have you got them yet?
1: I have not. We're uh, still waiting on some shafts to come in. So uh, supply chain, the supply chain continues.
0: Do you guys do fittings, like actual Mira ran fittings in Phoenix?
1: Uh, at a true spec location yeah we okay. would we be, we would be able to do that
0: are yeah. those with like any true spec location true spec fitters or is that like with mira staff guys
1: they are with uh true spec fitters but we do have, i think at least here i mean we would may have somebody that's a little more knowledgeable on the mira side specifically but i mean i'm i'm the first one to tell you i'm not the most uh technically proficient golf person or numbers or things like that and I will say with confidence that anybody, any fitter, any true spec, I promise you can get you dialed in because that technology and the stuff those guys know is well beyond my
0: uh, level of knowledge, at least on that topic. So I think like if we look at this whole story all together, and starting up, going back to California, and then realizing through college and the military and working. Random jobs while still going to school to get into the golf industry to to figuring out and landing where you're at now, which definitely isn't like, you know, this is just another step in the process. But there's been like failures along the way. And what what could you tell people that like it sounds like your transition worked out from the military worked out very well for you because you had a plan and you stuck to the plan. And you were realistic with it. You weren't like, yo, mm-hmm. I'm going to go be a private contractor in Nairobi because somebody randomly emailed me and told me I'm going to make 1500 bucks a day. Um, right. You had a plan and you stuck to it. And I know there's been failures, but what are things, steps that you've learned along the way that others could learn and benefit from?
1: Uh, I think a biggest one that people coming out of the military – it seems simple, but just be proactive. And that is really easy to not do in the army because if you're behind on something, your team leader is going to come hold your hand and make sure you get it done. So, I mean, you hear, I still have buddies, but you hear stories of like, Oh, the GI bill didn't work here. or This school screwed me over or this or that. Like, no, that's no, that's not it, man. Like you're out of the army. You have these resources at your disposal. You just need to do a little bit of legwork to maybe stay on top of it. And other than that, I think even just like, each position I got, honestly, is just from networking, and I, <laughs> I'll be the first to tell you how much I hate that word. And in grad school program that I finished, it's just that's all you say is go network, go network, go network. But like I wasn't really quote unquote networking, right? I was just working in the back room at a country club, and then you have some situational awareness, and you realize who some of these people are, and you know just make a good impression on them, and um, just sell yourself the best way possible. But that doesn't mean you're bragging about yourself, like. You're just talking to these guys and getting to know them and, you know, hopefully they like you, I guess. Um, but I would just say it's really important to be proactive. And yeah, obviously, like you said, some of the failures in the moment, my life was over in the moment, All right. I was like, oh my God. And like, obviously my life is not over. <laughs> like it's actually gotten quite better. So, right. um, you know, just one foot in front of the other, man. That's all anybody can do.
0: No, absolutely. Well, Kevin, I appreciate the time, man. I know uh, people got some good stories. Hopefully they learned a little bit and uh, they'll be able to grow and, and move on to make themselves a little bit better or chase a little bit of that happiness that I know you've found now. So I appreciate Absolutely,
1: the time. Man. Well, I, I appreciate you having me on, man. It's, uh, it's a thrill to be on here, honestly, and do anything with you guys and no laying up. So I'm excited, man.
0: Hell yeah. Thanks, buddy. Thanks.